chilling down. Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Page to Pixel podcast. I am your host, Reed Jolan, and with me is my dear friend, Jeremy Ruck. Say hello, Jeremy. Hello, Jeremy. <laughs> and joining us this time around is my dear friend, all the way out on the West Coast, Zeon Grassel. Say something, Zeon. Hey, it's me, Zeon. It's that guy from Nintendo Life. It's, wow. It's the guy from Nintendo Life. We're so happy to have Zeon on board with this first deep dive into the plot lore characters and all the other fun little knickknacks of sonic the hedgehog and when we were planning to kind of build this podcast we really want to do franchises as a whole but when we were looking at sonic the hedgehog it's such a uh, multimedia empire that we decided to really split up this first episode into just the 16-bit games with the exclusion of sonic spinball because that game does not exist so in this episode... My heart read. <laughs> <laughs> have you listened to the music on Spinball? It is just grating. I guess, I mean, I have fond memories of it, but uh, but I, I can't say I've ever gone and seeked it out individually, like just, just the music while I'm doing something else. So it's I'm going to have to do that now to it, find out. It's not like ASMR to fall asleep to, for sure. So yes, we are going to be looking specifically at the plot, characters, and general themes of Sonic the Hedgehog 1, Two CD, which I didn't know came up before Sonic Three, uh, and then Sonic Knuckles, and as well as everyone's favorite video game, Sonic 3D Blast. So that's that's really the goal for this first episode is just to kind of jump into those 16-bit Sega Genesis games. But before we kind of jump into the individual plot points of those games, before we jump into you know the themes and inspirations for those games, I just want to kind of open the field for our own individual experiences with the games. I think we can start with Xeon because, you know, I, I know how important the series is to you um, growing up. So, Xeon, why don't you just tell us a little bit about, you know, your own experiences as a kid playing the Sonic games and what they kind of mean to you? Yeah, def definitely. Um, so, for me, pretty much, I, I don't remember how old I was exactly, but I remember getting a Genesis and it came bundled with Sonic Spinball, funny enough, which is probably why I also enjoy that game so much, even though... I, I think the only time I ever saw it through to the end was because I was watching my cousin play, and uh, and it was just too it was too tough for little old Zeon. But eventually, I, I skipped Sonic One. I, I just never, you know, I used to shop for video games a lot at garage. I, I say used to, but I still buy games at garage sales and thrift stores. But I never found it, and but we ended up getting Sonic Two, and I think we rented Sonic Three quite a bit. And CD I never got until really late in life. And I still haven't really played that one through to the end. And but we did also had we had Sonic 3D Blast, and uh, and I actually, looking back on it, I had quite a blast with 3D Blast. But it <laughs> might have also just been one of those things where, it was Sonic, and it, I didn't have many other options. And graphically, it's still pretty impressive for the Genesis. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. So I um I most of my memories because I I was I was pretty bad. At most Sonic games as well. I think it was for the fact that, you know, Sonic 3 allowed you to save, and I, I, I Sonic CD might have as well. I'm, I'm not sure, um, but uh, but one and two, I would make it 
to like, you know, I, I made it past chemical plant in two. And then the, the level after that, I would just get trucked. And so I, I never really made it very far, but I, I watched like both the, the Sonic the Hedgehog, like Saturday morning cartoon. And I watched uh, Sonic underground and I watched some of X and, uh, and I feel like that's a little bit later anyways, but, but I still like, even though I was bad at the games and I kept playing the same levels like over and over again, I still surrounded myself in Sonic things. And uh, I mean, I think, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people I think still will could, could relate to that in ways, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah, Sonic was just a, he's just a good boy. He's a good boy. How about you, Jeremy? What is your own experiences with the Sonic franchise, particularly the 16 bit versions? Um, so uh, I got a Genesis, I would say, probably when I was like six or seven and I just had the first and second one. I never got anything past that, but yeah, I just, I played mostly two just cause I liked tails. I thought he was kind of a neat little dude. I never actually made it far and I wouldn't even say I was very good. Like I probably made it to stage two. That was it. Up until doing the research on this, I didn't know that chaos emeralds were a thing. Like I didn't know you could find them. I just sure. beat up the fat man in the, max if i could so yeah just one and two were pretty much the only ones i played sure yeah looking at my own lifestyle with sonic the hedgehog you know my 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 parents i think bought us a Sega genesis back i think in 1994 and oddly enough the only sonic the hedgehog game i owned was 3d blast um i know um but the thing is you know because i knew even at the time, even as a little kid, I knew how important Sonic was and like how cool he was. You know, he had this certain, I don't know, bravado about him. And so we would walk down to Family Video, um, rest in peace, uh, on the east side of town. And we would always rent, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Sonic uh, Sonic 3, and then Sonic and Knuckles. And we would combine them. So it was something that every time we went to rent stuff, it was usually the Sonic games. And other than you, plebeians, my brother and I made it to Oil Ocean. So you guys are like, I made it to level three. I'm just kidding. But um, you what know, what game I, is that even in? That's two. That's two. That's I oh, think, it is. That's wow. the that's the sixth or seventh level in two. Oh my gosh! I know we were so good. We're just crushing it. We we're just so crushing it. What happened? When, <laughs> when did it fall off? I don't know. Uh, and then I recently beat Sonic the Hedgehog two for the first time using save state. So you know, real real gamer here. No, congrats. Uh, I did that same thing a couple of years ago, and no shame, because we actually did it, you know? I know. Otherwise... Well, holy crap. The final level of Sonic 2, you have to fight Metal Sonic and Robotnik with zero rings. Not easy. So, you know, games back in the day were just so much harder. And, you know, I think what's, what's so important for Sonic for me is just, like, you know, I grew up with Mario. There's still, like, home, home video of me playing Mario um, somewhere in the world. But, you know, I think what was so cool about Sonic was, I think, really the music and just the speed of everything was just so engrossing. Uh, and, you know, I just loved it. I just loved the gameplay style. I loved everything about it, despite the fact that I didn't own it. It just was a, it was and is just a really, really important franchise in my life growing up. And it really kind of set the tone for a lot of what I still like to this day. So, and I think a lot of people, you know, the five listeners that are going to hear this podcast can probably admire that and sort of identify with that. So, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog is such a huge and important franchise for all of video gaming. Um, and that being said, now that we all have our little gushy introductions, I think it's time 
uh, to talk about the background and origins of this franchise. And I'm going to hand that over to Jeremy, who has done a bit of research on such things. So Jeremy, if you wouldn't mind taking just a second to talk a bit about the origins and inspirations for Sonic the Hedgehog series. Sonic's story begins in 1988 with the release of the Mega Drive system in Japan. About 10 months later, the system would land in America with its new name, the Sega Genesis. Sales were less than desirable, and by the close of the 80s, Sega was desperate for a game that would allow them to break into the market against its main competitor, Nintendo. Sega's president, Hayao Nakima, decided he needed a mascot to compete with Nintendo's Mario franchise and asked its employees to workshop some initial ideas. According to Sonic's original character designer, Nairo Oshima, he was visiting New York at the time. Oshima went to Central Park and sketched some designs to show bystanders and gauge their opinions. Out of the designs, the hedgehog won out and they began to flesh out Sonic's look. An easy to draw figure with blue skin to match Sega's logo and a too cool for school attitude would set the stage for the newly created Sonic Team. Sonic Team's goal was to make a game that would appeal to the US and Japanese markets. The fast-paced platformer would show off the Genesis' processing power and would attract casual and serious gamers worldwide. Sonic's original backstory had him in a rock band with a groupie girlfriend Madonna and Fangs. Before Sonic would release, Sega America pitched scrapping these ideas to help Sonic appeal better to an American market. Releasing on June 23, 1991, backed with an aggressive marketing and loss leader pricing strategy spearheaded by Tom Kalinske, Sega was able to take the lion's share of the market. The success of Sonic would carry Sega until 1994. They could never again seem to launch a game franchise that would captivate a worldwide market. Sonic on the Sega Genesis was truly lightning in a bottle. Yeah, I think with Sonic the Hedgehog, I, I just love the idea that the creator is going to Central Park to like just plan out these different scans and stuff like that of different models and character ideas to just walker-bys in the park. Um, Zian, is there anything that you know a little bit about the origins of Sonic that you wanted well, to share? I did want to say, too, just like to touch on that point, is that that feels like such a foreign concept because if you were to go walking around in Central Park nowadays and, and do something like that, I feel like people would think that, A, you're a crazy person, B, people would think you're a crazy person, then film you and put it on the Internet, or C, <laughs> like the people would recognize, the, some someone would recognize you or find out who you are and then share your potential ideas all over the Internet anyways. Right. And so, yeah, it is really cool to see that that's, that is how they, uh, <laughs> you know, how they... Uh, got how Sonic basically got to be how he is today, or you know what what helped him get there. Absolutely, I, I just think it's so unique that we all remember. I think a bit about how the '90s were themed aesthetically, and I think the they wanted to create a brainchild. Sega did of creating a '90s cultural icon. They wanted it to be quote unquote cool. They wanted to have something cool than, and that was appealing to the larger zeitgeist at the time. So they wanted to have something that was family-friendly, but still a bit edgier than Mario, who was very family-friendly. Anyone could pick up a Mario game and play it. So again, a larger piece of Sega's marketing campaign was geared towards you know, having the edgier, older generation, teens skateboarding, who knows what else. When they were designing the original prints for Sonic, when they were designing the original character models, they were thinking of Michael Jackson, Bill Clinton, and Madonna, which are obviously huge 80s and 90s cultural icons. So they wanted to have their own. 
looking at the early designs for Sonic the Hedgehog, the original design before it became the full-fledged Sonic the Hedgehog that we know was an armadillo, which I think is a really interesting choice, which actually did ultimately become uh, Mighty the Armadillo, which was featured, I believe, most recently in Sonic Mania as the DLC. Um, they also designed a dog, which is, you know, I think they're... Again, I might be misjudging this, but there aren't a ton of dog mascots out there in terms of gaming. I could be wrong. Duck Hunt. Uh, what? Duck Hunt. Duck Hunt, yeah, <laughs> I suppose. They wanted to also create a Teddy Roosevelt in pajamas, um, which I think is a really interesting choice, which ultimately did become Eggman. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about the, the, the dichotomy and naming differences between Eggman and Dr. Robotnik. Um, and they wanted to create a rabbit originally was one of the early designs was a rabbit which grabbed items with its ears which would ultimately get released as Ristar uh, on the Sega Genesis I think in 1995 which is actually one of my favorite games of all time they did scrap some of these ideas but they did ultimately tool them into um, real things and like Jeremy said I think it's so cool that Oshima took some of those character sketches to NYC and just like Zian was saying was like yeah if he did that in real life now he'd be you know, he'd be jobless. He'd be jobless, yeah. <laughs> People would be posting it all over Twitter and stuff like that. But that being said, we've talked a little bit about the origins and background of Sonic. Sega wanting to create this new mascot that would rival uh, Mario. So let's talk a little bit. And again, the focus of this podcast is to look at the plot. So Xeon uh, is going to tell us a little bit about the plot of Sonic the Hedgehog 1, which was released in 1991. All of our research for the actual plot points of these games that we're going to be talking about in the next couple of minutes are all really based on the actual game manuals. So if it sounds like we're just copying and pasting things, that's because we kind of are. This is the information taken from the manuals, which I think is the best source for understanding the plot. So Zion, if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about the plot, taking us down Storybook Lane. Absolutely. I'll do my best. Hopefully hopefully I don't go go by too fast, though. It'll be okay. Get it? It's a song. Gotta go joke. fast. Gotta go fast. Yeah. I missed it. That's okay. It was too fast for you. On the lush tropical paradise of South Island, Sonic the Hedgehog's animal friends begin disappearing one by one. When he discovers that the evil scientist, Dr. Ivo Robotnik, or as people like to call him nowadays, Dr. Eggman, has been kidnapping them and converting them into robotic badniks as part of a plot to collect all six of the fabled Chaos Emeralds. Sonic decides it's up to him to save them and leaps into action as he embarks on a quest to free his friends, locate the Chaos Emeralds first, and thwart the evil schemes of Dr. Robotnik. As Sonic races through the zones of the island, he engages in numerous confrontations with Dr. Robotnik and his deadly machines, and one by one frees the animals from the robotic shells and capsules placed at the end of almost every zone. In their final confrontation, Dr. Robotnik prepares his last dastardly contraption to end his adversary, but proves no match for Sonic's awesome might, and his machine is totaled. Fleeing with his tail between his legs, Dr. Robotnik abandons his laboratory as it explodes, crumbling to scrap, with Sonic narrowly escaping. Later, Sonic will arrive at Green Hill Zone. The game's ending will depend on whether or not the player has collected all six Chaos Emeralds. If the player does not collect the Chaos Emeralds, the game will simply end and play the credits. Later, however, Dr. Robotnik will be seen with all the Chaos Emeralds the player has not collected. However, if the player has collected all six Chaos Emeralds, Sonic will utilize the gems to spread flora throughout Green Hill Zone, shocking him. Later, the credits will play, and afterwards, Dr. Robotnik will be seen angrily jumping on top of a text that reads, End, finishing the game. 
And the notion of having good endings and bad endings was something pretty common back in the day, uh, especially with these games. As we kind of read through the different plot points of the Sonic the Hedgehog games, you're going to see a lot of the, if you collect all the Chaos Emeralds, this happens. If you don't, which most players probably didn't, because some of the special stages were pretty challenging, something else bad will happen. I think most of my experiences when beating these games, I don't think I ever collected any of the Chaos Emeralds, so typically I'm seeing the bad ending. But as far as I know, most of these games all do have good and bad endings. And that being said, I will jump into Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which was released uh, in 1992. Very, very popular series, really taking off at this point. Uh, in my personal opinion, I think Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is the best of these original games, and maybe that's something we can hold for debate later on. But all side conversations aside, let me jump into the plot of Sonic the Hedgehog 2. In search of new adventures, Sonic finds the West Side Island and meets a new friend, Miles Prower, aka Tails. Peace is short-lived, Robotnik is back, having tracked the Chaos Emeralds to the West Island along with a hidden seventh gem. Back to his old tricks, the island is full of robotic animals, and Robotnik constructs a new doomsday device called the Death Egg. Sonic and Tails team up to battle Robotnik and his robotic army across the West Island. After gathering the seven Chaos Emeralds, Sonic unlocks the ability to transform into Supersonic. His fur turns gold and he gains temporary invulnerability from most forms of damage while depleting his ring. Using Sonic's plane, the Tornado, uh, Sonic is able to grab onto a rocket and fly into space and board the Death Egg. Racing through the halls of the Death Egg, Sonic is trapped in a room with his metallic doppelganger, Mechasonic. Upon the destruction of Mechasonic, Robotnik is forced to deal with Sonic himself, using a giant mech of himself. The Death Egg Robot. Armed with arm spikes, a jetpack, and a big old stompy feet. Robotnik flies around trying to smash Sonic, but Sonic's reflexes win out. With the Death Egg robot defeated, the Death Egg satellite begins to explode. Now this is where it gets to the good and bad endings. If the player has not managed to get all of the Chaos Emeralds in the game, Tails will decide to take off the tornado to save Sonic after seeing the Death Egg explode from in the sky from the ground. While in the sky, Tails catches Sonic on the tornado as he falls from the sky. With the two heroes on board and some flickies following behind them, Sonic and Tails will pose to the camera, and, but after the credits, Robotnik is shown laughing while holding the Chaos Emeralds the players did not collect. However, if you do manage to get all of the Chaos Emeralds, Tails will decide to take off on the tornado to save Sonic after seeing the Death Egg explode. As Tails flies to the sky while accompanied by Flickies, Sonic, who has transformed back into Super Sonic, will appear and fly with the Tails and the Flickies. So it's just a, it's not really a huge difference between you know, the endings there, it's just like, you know, they have this just larger flying theme in the ending there. But uh, yeah, that's the plot of Sonic 2. So uh, I'm going to have Jeremy take over. I didn't know this until we actually started this research for the podcast, but Sonic CD actually came out before Sonic 3, which I didn't know. Again, a, a lot of people, I don't think, knew about Sonic CD at the time, just because the Sonic CD peripheral was kind of a limited thing. It did sell well from what I remember, but... Um, you know, most people just kind of connected Sonic 1, 2, and 3. So I guess Sonic CD is technically the third game in the series. So I will let Jeremy talk a little bit about Sonic CD. Sonic CD, 1993. The evil Dr. Robotnik steals Little Planet over Never Lake, where special stones known as Time Stones are found. The Time Stones are powerful gems that are capable of controlling the passage of time. Robotnik had his eyes on the planet since it first appeared on the last month of the year. Upon locating Little Planet, 
Dr. Robotnik and his robot badniks immediately chained Little Planet down on a mountain with the face of Robotnik carved into the side. Then Robotnik and his badniks set about converting the world into a giant fortress. Sonic arrives on the scene to stop Robotnik from taking all the time stones that will allow him to manipulate time and conquer the world. Using his speed, Sonic must travel through the past, present, and future of each round to ensure a good future and to find Dr. Robotnik's latest invention, Metal Sonic. At the end of the stage Palm Tree Panic, Sonic meets Amy Rose, who has a crush on the blue blur and becomes a recurring character. As he enters Collision Chaos, Amy follows and Metal Sonic swoops in kidnapping her. Now Sonic must rescue Amy as well as defeat Robotnik. Like other games, Robotnik will also make an appearance in the third zone of each round. Once in Stardust Speedway, Sonic encounters Metal Sonic and the two race each other, with Robotnik giving chase. Should the Hedgehog outrace his Metal Doppelganger, Metal Sonic gets struck by Robotnik's laser, leaving him out of the picture for the time being, and Sonic is able to rescue Amy. At the end of the game, depending on whether all the time stones have been collected or if a good future has been ensured in each zone, the game will end in either a good future or bad future. In the good ending, Sonic and Amy land back on Sonic's world as Little Planet orbits away in freedom. In the bad ending, Sonic and Amy come home, but Robotnik escapes with a time stone. As he celebrates his victory, Sonic throws a rock at him, apparently bringing him down. The credits are identical in both ending, but the after credit scenes are different. In the good ending, Little Planet's mythical seeds will land on the ground and many of its flowers will come into existence as the game tells the player, you're too cool. In the bad ending, a time warp ensues overhead, restoring the ruined mountain and its grip on the doomed Little Planet in an instant as the player is told, try again to save Little Planet forever. So yeah, I think what was so cool about Sonic CD is it incorporates this idea of past, present, and future. You know, rather than just jump, jumping from you know zone to zone, it has different versions of each zone depending on, um, you know, if you're able to jump into these special portals that take you into the different time periods. So I think Sonic CD was really ahead of its time in a lot of ways. Again, I think it's something we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, but it's not something that any of us have a ton of experience with. I know it's a fan favorite for a lot of people, so I'm not going to obviously badmouth it, but um, I think it's a really, really cool game, and I think the visuals are really cool. Yeah, especially like hearing about the story, too. It sounds way more dramatic mm -hmm. than any Sonic game that we've experienced before, and it's not to say that Sonic 1 and 2 are comical in nature but this one it just seems to be taking itself a little more seriously in ways like the fact that you know if you get that really uh bad ending like the, the planet is, is you know is ruined it's devastated and uh and that's it just it, it feels a little bit uh, a little, little more intense yeah absolutely yeah. and i i watched a couple of the um just people playing the game just to kind of get a feel for it you can also see that a lot in the art style too as you're going through time in the future it's kind of it almost gets like slight post-apocalyptic vibes. Like you can definitely tell it's it's uh, it's pretty rough. And then in like in the past, it's just kind of like a lush jungle. So it's got this really nice varying art styles throughout the timelines, even just within the same zone that I thought was kind of neat. Yeah, for sure. All right. So taking a look at Sonic the Hedgehog 3, which I believe was released in 1994. Actually, both Sonic the Hedgehog 3 and Sonic and Knuckles were released in the same year. I want to say like five or six or seven months apart, just kind of down the way. Um, Zeon, do you mind reading Sonic the Hedgehog 3? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, go ahead. <clears throat> 
Uh, so to preface this as well, it seems like from what we've learned that Sonic the Hedgehog 3 is more of a direct continuation of the, the Genesis story, if, if you want to even call it that at, at that point, where Sonic CD seems to be sort of like an outlier. It's, it seems to be its own story. So after Sonic and Tails defeat Dr. Robotnik in Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Robotnik's space station, the Death Egg, crash lands on the floating Angel Island. There, Robotnik meets Knuckles the Echidna, the last member of an ancient Echidna civilization that once inhabited the island. Knuckles is the guardian of the Master Emerald, which grants the island its levitation power. Robotnik tricks Knuckles into believing Sonic is trying to steal the Master Emerald, turning the two against each other while he repairs the Death Egg in turn. At the beginning of Sonic 3, Sonic and Tails approach Angel Island in their biplane, the Tornado. Sonic uses the Chaos Emeralds to transform into Super Sonic, but Knuckles ambushes him and steals the Emeralds. Sonic and Tails travel the island continuously bothered by Knuckles and Robotnik. At the launch base, which is the sixth zone in Sonic 3, where the Death Egg is under repair, Sonic and Tails fight Knuckles, but the Death Egg relaunches. On a platform attached to the Death Egg, they defeat Robotnik, causing the Death Egg to crash land on Angel Island again. The story resumes in Sonic and Knuckles, which was released just a few months later, and we'll talk about that very soon. And yeah, looking at Sonic and Knuckles, they are really just a part one and part two of each other, and I didn't really know that until after the fact. And if you guys haven't played Sonic and Knuckles, if you have been living under a boulder for the last 30 years, What's so interesting about Sonic and Knuckles when it was released just a few months after Sonic 3 is that it did have a top slot in the cartridge where you could uh, place in Sonic the Hedgehog 3 and Sonic and the Hedgehog 2 and play as Knuckles within those games themselves, which I thought was just an amazing, amazing technological feat at the time, just being able to lock in different games to play them with different characters. But looking at Sonic and Knuckles, um, it is a direct continuation of Sonic the Hedgehog 3, and I will continue with the storyline here. So, Sonic and Knuckles, uh, sorry, Sonic and Knuckles, which was released in 1994. Following immediately after the events of Sonic the Hedgehog 3, Sonic the Hedgehog has once again managed to stop the Death Egg's launch into space, thus leaving it to fall from the sky once more. Unfortunately, the Death Egg soon falls into the floating island once again, this time into the island's volcano. Meanwhile, after Sonic threw himself out of the sky following his last battle in Sonic 3, he is swept into the wind into the Mushroom Hill Zone, a lush forest with gigantic mushrooms. Seeing the still intact Death Egg collide with the floating island's volcano, Sonic knows things are far from peaceful once more, as it will only be a matter of time before Dr. Robotnik restores the Death Egg once more. Sonic prepares to set out to the Death Egg and destroy it once and for all. However, he is suddenly interrupted when he notices Knuckles the Echidna, the guardian of the floating island, uh, has been tricked into helping Robotnik. He appears from a hidden door in the forest. After carefully examining the area, Knuckles disappears back into the forest. Uh, once sure that Knuckles is gone, Sonic emerges from his hiding place and opens the door Knuckles came out of. Inside the hidden room, Sonic is caught by a dazzling light. Taking a closer look at the light, he sees a super ring. Unable to curb his curiosity about what this ring might be, Sonic touches it and is caused to be taken into the hidden palace zone, a giant hall with a pristine altar. Looking around, Sonic sees that the altar has a giant Chaos Emerald enshrined in it, the Master Emerald. Filled with questions, Sonic decides to set off to find the Chaos Emeralds, stop Dr. Robotnik from relaunching the Death Egg once again, and discover the hidden mysteries of the Hidden Palace Zone. Returning to Mushroom Hill Zone, Sonic eventually uses Robotnik's Flying Battery Zone to go to Sandopolis Zone. From there, he ends up in Lava Reef Zone, where the Death Egg is. However, the Space Fortress quickly uses its eye lasers to reactivate the volcano in an attempt to stop Sonic. 
Surviving this change in environment, Sonic soon finds himself in the Hidden Palace Zone once again. There he has a showdown with Knuckles. After Sonic manages to defeat Knuckles, the two witness Robotnik attempting to steal the Master Emerald to use its power in the Death Egg. Knuckles, realizing he has been tricked, attempts to stop Robotnik as he flies away with the Master Emerald in his Eggmobile, his little chariot that he uses to fly from place to place. But Robotnik quickly gets away after he zaps Knuckles with his uh, electrical cord. Realizing that he has been fooled all along by Robotnik, and that Sonic has actually been trying to help him the whole time, Knuckles takes Sonic to Sky Sanctuary Zone with a warp point. There, the two see the Death Egg successfully relaunch itself. With Knuckles too tired from the beatings he received, Sonic goes on without him to stop Robotnik. As Sonic runs through the Sky Sanctuary Zone, he has numerous encounters with Mechasonic, a robot created by Robotnik. However, Sonic manages to defeat the robot in each encounter and finally catches up to the Death Egg and gets on board. With the Death Egg having made it to space, Sonic blasts through Robotnik's numerous contraptions on board. After overcoming Robotnik's Death Ball, controlled by Robotnik himself, Sonic gives chase to Robotnik, who ends up boarding his Great Eggman Robo, a mech powered by the Master Emerald. After Sonic destroys the mech, a chain reaction is triggered throughout the Death Egg that causes the entire Space Fortress to crumble and explode. The ending of the game will depend on whether or not the player has collected all seven Chaos Emeralds. If the player has not found all seven Chaos Emeralds, they will have, to, they will have defeated Robotnik and destroyed the Death Egg. But with the Death Egg gone, Sonic falls again down from the sky. Though he is saved by Tails from the tornado, he loses the Master Emerald on the way down. Afterwards, Tails will then fly him and Sonic away. The player is then treated to a scene showing the Master Emerald in Robotnik's possession once again. However, if the player has found all of the Chaos Emeralds, they will have destroyed the Death Egg. However, Robotnik tries to make his escape with the Master Emerald in his final weapon. In response, Sonic transforms into Super Sonic and pursues the Doctor into the Doomsday Zone. After defeating Robotnik, Sonic and the Master Emerald will fall down from the sky, but are then saved by Tails and the Tornado. Afterward, the duo returns to the floating island and gives the Master Emerald back to Knuckles. The floating island will then start to float into the sky once again, and Sonic and Tails will take their leave in the Tornado. The player is then shown a scene of the Egg Robo emerging from some robotic scrap. So that was just Sonic's story. Because with this game, since it is Sonic and Knuckles, there is the ability to play as Knuckles directly, who does have a different uh, ability and pl uh, play style, I guess you could say. Um, I loved playing as Knuckles back in the day because he was able to glide and cling onto things and climb up, and I thought that was such a cool change from Sonic. So this is Knuckles' story in Sonic and Knuckles, the same game. So sometime after getting the Master Emerald back, Knuckles is chilling in Mushroom Hill Zone with the island's animals until he's attacked by an Egg Robo which is like a mechanical uh, minion of Dr. Robotnik. So the Egg Robo drops a, a bomb in front of him. Uh, after he survives the bomb's explosion, an enraged Knuckles takes off after this Egg Robo. After serious encounters of with the robot, Knuckles finds himself in the Sky Sanctuary Zone, where it is all shown that the floating island has begun to fall from the sky once more. There he is caught by the Egg Robo and is brought before reactivated Mechasonic. As Mechasonic moves in to attack him, however, Knuckles escapes, leaving Mechasonic to accidentally destroy the Egg Robo and the Egg Mobo. A battle between Knuckles and Mechasonic soon follows, with Knuckles emerging victorious. Not giving up, however, Mechasonic retreats to a stolen Master Emerald, which explains why the floating island has begun to fall again. Despite using the Master Emerald to its advantage by harnessing its powers repeatedly to assume a super state, Knuckles manages to defeat the robot anyway. Upon Knuckles' victory, their battle arena suddenly crumbles away beneath them. The ending of the game will depend on whether or not the players collected the seven Chaos Emeralds. So looking at the good and, the good and bad endings of Knuckles' side of the story, 
If the player has not found all the seven Chaos Emeralds, the bad story, Sonic will appear in the tornado and catch an exhausted Knuckles, whom he will fly back to the floating island. Afterward, the floating island will fall into the sea and float on top of it. The player is then treated to a scene showing Mecha Sonic next to the Master Emerald before the former comes online and stands on top of the Master Emerald. However, if the player has found all of the Chaos Emeralds, Sonic will appear in the tornado and catch both Knuckles, now transformed into Super Knuckles, and the Master Emerald who will fly back to the floating island. Afterward, the floating island will then rise back into the sky once more. So, obviously, depending on how you play the game or who you play the game with, there's a lot of different variation with the Sonic, uh, Sonic and Knuckles, which I didn't know about until I was starting to do the research. So, after the release of Sonic and Knuckles, um, they actually did take some time. I believe there were some other um, releases at this time with Sega, but then they did return to Sonic 3D Blast in 1996, which was kind of a swan song for this system, from what I know. Um, it was one of the, it was really getting towards the end of the Genesis lifetime because at this time the Sega Saturn had come out and um, there was this really big push during this time in the, in the mid 90s to kind of move away from the 16-bit style and into the 3D realm and that's really what Sonic 3D Blast really tried to capitalize on. Uh, all of that sort of side notes aside, I'll let Xeon take it away and tell us a little bit about the plot of Sonic 3D Blast. Sure. So the story surrounding the Chaos Emeralds, the beautiful stones that possess mysterious power, would prompt Sonic the Hedgehog and his friends Tails and Knuckles to visit a mysterious island known as Flicky Island. According to the legend, the Chaos Emeralds lie dormant on this island. The first thing Sonic and his friends do is look for birds named Flickies, which serve as clues to the Chaos Emeralds' location. At the time, there was a spy satellite in the sky far away that scouted Flicky Island. This satellite belongs to, of course, Dr. Robotnik, who has been looking for Flicky Island after hearing about the Chaos Emerald legend as well. He immediately examines the location of these emeralds, and he soon finds out that he'll have to use the Flickies in order to find them. Dr. Robotnik thus comes to Flicky Island to capture the Flickies. However, there are no trace of the Flickies anywhere, only uninhabited forests and mountains. Suddenly, however, a flock of flickies pop out of the ring. These flickies stay in the trees, and when they finish eating in the forest, they go back through the dimensional ring again. With this observation, Robotnik has figured out the flickies' secret. The flickies are coming and going through subspaces using dimensional rings as they please. As Dr. Robotnik thinks about this to himself, he quickly completes a dimension ring generator. He then begins capturing the flickies and imprisoning them in badniks one after another. Following Dr. Robotnik's capture of the flickies, Sonic immediately arrives. When Sonic sees Dr. Robotnik imprisoning the Flickies and Badniks, he yells out in frustration to Robotnik. Robotnik, however, merely gloats to Sonic that he will not be able to stop him this time, like he never has in the past, as he will conquer the world once he has all the Chaos Emeralds before flying away in his Eggmobile. Making his way across Flicky Island, Sonic frees the Flickies from Robotnik's Badniks, and with the help of Knuckles and Tails, travels to the special stages to find the Chaos Emeralds before Robotnik does. At Panic Puppet Zone, Robotnik's base, Sonic has freed all the Flickies from the Doctor's control. From there, he has a showdown with Dr. Robotnik, and after this, the game's ending will depend on the player's progress. If the player has not collected all seven Chaos Emeralds, Robotnik will be shown with the Chaos Emeralds the player has not managed to collect once again. The game will also try to encourage the player to replay the game and get the good ending with the text Try Again. If the player has managed to collect all seven Chaos Emeralds, however, the game will continue with Sonic being transported to the final fight with the Chaos Emeralds and the Flicky's aid. There, Sonic will fight Robotnik with his final weapon. After defeating the Doctor, Sonic returns to Flicky Island through a dimension ring where he finds that the island has been freed from Dr. Robotnik. 
And yeah, that is the story of Sonic 3D Blast. Just kind of looking, and this is something you guys can kind of chime in too, is just looking at the plot points of all of these games, there is just this constant desire for the bad guy to kind of collect all of these items as a way of, of ensuring you know global domination, whether it's on this island or that island or this planet. It just seems you know every single time that Sonic encounters uh, Dr. Robotnik, that there's this constant battle between collecting the the emeralds back and you know being able to save the world completely, and I think it's really sad that players that are you know probably pretty young playing these games and they're not collecting all the chaos emeralds because again, collecting the chaos emeralds is typically based on uh, finishing special stages, which I don't think the dexterity and abilities of five year olds is necessarily going to accomplish. Um, so all the bad things like try again, sucker. You know, <laughs> it's just it, I think that's kind of funny. But as you can sort of see, there are larger overarching themes that I have sort of seen throughout all of these plots and all of the gameplays. And I think the biggest plot that kind of comes to mind is just this this general idea of nature versus industry and environmentalism. Again, <laughs> the focus of this podcast, too, is to sort of break these things down. So if you guys have differing opinions, that's absolutely fine. This is just kind of my main takeaways from looking at all the plots, looking at the characters, looking at how everything sort of interacts, is just that there is this large idea of the good life, you know, good, you know, the animals living in peace and harmony, and then Robotnik coming in and industrializing everything, destroying everything. And that's not just something that is specific to Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, if you guys really take a second and think back to all of the early... 1990s and maybe late 80s shows how many times can you think of an evil uh, villain you know going to an area and plotting to destroy it with chemicals or toxic ooze and stuff like that while the the good guy has to kind of come in that was such a prevailing theme I think during the late 80s and early 90s was just you know we have to preserve nature versus the over commercialization and industrialization of the world and I think, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog is no different from a lot of the other shows. You know, I'm thinking in my mind, uh, Captain Planet, Ninja Turtles, stuff like that, Power Rangers. You know, this constant battle between preserving the actual world against the, the growing threat of industrialization. Now, is that plot point I just said, gentlemen, something too far removed? Or is it something that you guys can kind of see as well? It does feel a bit like they are trying to send a message in that regard. I, I remember there, there was a this is a different game, but uh, I can't I can't remember what it's called. Not Awesome Possum. Uh, maybe it was Awesome Possum. Oh yeah, on the Genesis. Yeah, it was Awesome Possum uh, kicks Doctor Machino's butt, and I think I saw um, uh, the gaming historian uh, covered this game, and essentially it was kind of like a. It, you know, it, it was basically like this kind of the story of Sonic the Hedgehog, from what I remember, but but actually told in a more narrative fashion, and uh, you know, or like there were, there was more story to it, and it had I believe it had sponsorships and things like that, and and yeah, you're absolutely right. Like lots of games back then seemed to to carry these these same themes, and and yeah, I, I think there's there's a lot of merit to it. It's it's not something I don't I don't think I ever really noticed it too much, except for when Jeremy was talking about. Sonic CD in particular, how you know how you go to the present and you, or, you know you go to the past and you see how uh, there's growth, plant life everywhere, and then you go to the future and and everything just kind of looks like there's, if I remember correctly, there's like neon lights and things are shiny in in certain levels. Maybe that's just the present day levels, but but you know he, Jeremy talking about you know how post-apocalyptic everything looked 
you know, it, it does it does really seem like Sega is trying to, or or at least the you know Sonic team and 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 are, are trying to trying to spread some some awareness with with that, especially because yeah, it has been such a uh, a prevalent plot point throughout the whole series. Yeah, absolutely. Jeremy, you have anything to add? Um, no, I think that about sums it up. I mean, I uh, I think it's pretty obvious. You've, you're right. Like the whole idea behind the story is that he's just turning them into robots, right? Like, so you can cut this because I'm just agreeing with you. I guess. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I think I think it's fine too. Even, and I was just gonna say too that you know even in a way you know are maybe also getting a little bit out there, but society uses. Uh, I'm, I'm coming from this from like a vegetarian standpoint as well, <laughs> um, but and I don't, I never, I never speak on these topics uh, just because I don't, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't like to try to change people in that regard. People are going to do what they want to do, but but society, you know, uses animals in way we use we use animals for the most part as tools. I mean, we have pets and and those are our friends and things like that. But but if you look at cows and uh, and sheep and things like that, you know, they're they're designed so that we can propel our lives and, uh, and and at least that that's an outlook. That's an outlook that people can have. And in here, you know, Robotnik's doing it in a similar way. You know, we we don't really necessarily know from what what I remember how these animals are being utilized to create robots you know you just jump on a on a, a badnik and it, it blows up and then an animal runs away or you you pop on a capsule and then there's a bunch of animals you know but mm. uh, but in a way it's like now that I'm thinking about it it kind of does reflect on society in a in a, in a, a similar way as well yeah um, uh, touching on that you know Zian was talking about flickies and stuff like that and creatures and all this other stuff. And one of the major sort of aspects of Sonic the Hedgehog is, you know, the the typical minion enemies that you do encounter in these games are called badniks. So whenever you heard that, that's what that's referring to. Um, and I think the general plot point with that is that what happens is Robotnik goes to a certain area or zone and he kidnaps the, the little critters of the forest, the squirrels and birds and stuff like that. And he morphs them into, you know, badniks, which are just robotic versions of those animals. And then when Sonic does jump on one of these enemies and, you know, knock them out, it turns back into its original bird form. And at the end of the, the zones, you jump on the capsules that was always one of my favorite parts to do. You jump on the capsules and it releases just a stream of different, you know, woodland critters and stuff like that that come running out in celebration. Um, and just kind of what listening to Zian talking about, you know, how we as society, you know, use animals and stuff like that. Um, and I'm thinking, too, when Sonic Team is coming to create a game like this, this is a very, very simple storyline when it comes, you know, when you're looking at game plots, like there's maybe a reason why you didn't know about these plots is just because it's pretty simple. There's not too much in depth with it. And obviously we're not getting into the comics and stuff like that or the TV shows back mm -hmm. in the 90s. But I, I, I just think there is something more to this nature versus in industry thing because this is a very simple case of good versus evil. You know, Dr. Robotnik is the bad guy, you know, doing all this bad stuff. Sonic has to go and save the world. But they do it through an environmental lens, specifically. They have animals being captured and, you know, turned into machines. You could have created a plot line or you could have created a story between these two that doesn't have any of that environmental aspect, but that's such a major part of the game. Is just you have to save the good, you have to save the good animals. You have to save the good animals. You know if he's corrupting these worlds. You know level two of Sonic Two, Chemical Plant Zone, the most banging soundtrack ever. 
but it's this really almost dystopian cityscape. And you see this throughout. You see like ancient ruins and you see beautiful nature environments contrasting against these really dark dystopian levels that Robotnik essentially manipulates. So just thinking about this, this is completely ad lib, but just thinking about all of this is like they could have created this game in these environments completely devoid of the environmental side of things, but they did. They made it such a a figure of every single one of these is saving the animals, saving the environment and stuff like that. So I think that's something, I don't know if it was something that they did on purpose, but it is something that I can definitely see moving away from it. When and you, you see a lot of platformers from back in that era where, like Sonic definitely has its moments where, you know, every every level they tried to make something different, right? Like you have an ice uh, ice cap zone, I think, and you have, uh, I, I'm going to blank on all of the other the other different types of zones, but you have like a fire one and a grass one, and you have, you know, some some type of, zone that's uh that's run by electricity or you know you not not every game has the same kinds of zones but lots of them have that but but in some some platformers uh or or, or a majority that came out around that time they didn't always seem to carry like a a theme you know i it, it sometimes felt like the the game designers or the artists were just like ah oh, we need to make something different um what, what are we going to do you know where it, it does almost feel like the the sonic levels all have their this uh, this connection to each other in that regard, and to like the, the the story as a whole, you know, and and you know you're you're right that like you know maybe uh, maybe in some ways we're you know maybe we're overlooking some of this stuff, but I mean these games were created by adults, and uh, and 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 yes they were created for children, but but maybe that's why the story is simple as well. Maybe maybe it's it's just trying to get kids to to recognize like animals good, robots bad, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And. Uh, well, and it reminds me, and this is a f- completely, you know, left field comparison, but, you know, looking at these themes, it reminds me a lot of the Studio Ghibli movie, uh, Pompoko, which was about like the Tanukis, and it was like a, about a colony of Tanukis living out in Japan, and they're faced against like this encroachment of like city planning and stuff like Have you ever seen that, Zion? I, I have not. Have you, Jeremy, either? Uh, negative. It's 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 not like a main line uh, of those movies, but it is pretty. You know, it, it's kind of sad in a way because it's you know about the the pushback of nature against the encroachment of cities being built on territories that are typically wild. Um, it's a really interesting movie, and I think it came out in the late '80s. I could be wrong. I'm sure I'm going to get some Twitter replies to that, but um, I just think it's interesting to see again, even in even in Eastern entertainment, so like J- Japanese entertainment, you're seeing a lot of these themes at the same time as you're seeing, you know, Power Rangers, um, Pla- Captain Planet, stuff like that, talking about how bad it is to pollute. I mean, I remember growing up, I had like a Ninja Turtles uh, like children's book and it was all about picking up your recycling and you know being radical and you know making sure sure that you cycle your recycling (sighs) you know it it might have not been intentional but i think ultimately um the the largest theme here is this environmental nature versus industry scene i think the also there's another sort of sub theme within the sonic the hedgehog games that is more mechanical in nature not like industry mechanical but mechanical in terms of how the game plays and is that how the Sonic team wanted to create a competitor to Nintendo's Mario, who was you know, the juggernaut and still is at this time. So they wanted to create something that was different but familiar to people. So they have this mechanic and there's, there's programming involved. And again, we're not going to get into the actual creation of these games, but I do recall one of their 
their ambitions in the initial creation of the series was to have a superhero character that was able to move really quickly and just really showcase the power, the blast processing uh, of, the, of the Sega system. And there comes a sense of, I think, attitude is sort of a sub-theme of like, there, there is this, this, this deeper you know, industrial theme, which we just kind of elaborated on, but I think there's also this theme of like humor and attitude. And I think the big thing with Sonic is that he is, you know, he is kind of cocky. He always tries to outsmart Dr. Robotnik or Eggman, however you want to call it, um, not only in the, in, in the games, but also the TV shows as well. He has this really kind of arrogant attitude. And I think that appealed to a lot of people, and I think that was really the goal. And I think there's a rivalry too, not only between Sonic and Eggman or Robotnik, but also between Sonic and Mario. Because mechanically, like I said, Sonic is a hell of a lot faster than Mario is. And I think that's kind of a, that helps builds, uh, helps build Sonic's street cred, so to speak. You know, because people are like, oh, I, can, I, I love playing Mario World, I love playing this, but like you come, you come up to someone's house and play Sonic and he's just moving so fast. And so I think there is this interesting rivalry that starts to, to develop between um, Sonic and Mario in this in this time period. It's sort of like a not a middle finger to, to Nintendo or anything, but it's like look what we can also do as well. And I think Sonic's attitude really showcases that that rivalry and saying like look what we can do as well. Absolutely, yeah, and it it, it pretty much is the complete opposite of what you know Mario is in in ways I mean they're they're both of the games are still platformers and they they have you know Super Mario Bros 3 and and Mario World had a, a bit more story but they were still fairly simple in in their in their regards but but yes Mario is like no shame uh, or no I'm not trying to attack Mario here but he's like a middle-aged human plumber and I'm not I'm not sure how much like a six-year-old can relate to that or even look up to look up to that and but then you have Sonic who is this you know, I don't. I think Sonic might have been, and maybe even for many, been the first hedgehog that some of us ever ever learned about before even a real one. And you know, he had spikes and cool shoes, and yeah, he was just he was uh, was he was he originally supposed to be called Mister Needle Mouse? Was that, that yes, a, that is correct. His original concept is, uh, was Mister Needle Mouse. That's great. What a name! <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I'm really glad they went with Sonic instead. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, he's just you know he's fast and he's young and and, and he's cool. Uh, yep. you're, you know, he has he has all the things that kind of Mario doesn't, and and then some in some regards. Yeah, and so. me- and mechanically too, and I'll let Jeremy jump in here in a second. But mechanically too, I think what was so cool, I think for for Sonic was um, idle in uh, sorry idle animations. So like when you're playing Sonic and Sonic Two, like if you don't move, he'll kind of like tap his foot at you and kind of look at the screen, like you know what are you doing? Um, and I think that's such a really cute, cool. Um, aspect of the game is like and like you were saying Zian and, and looking back at the whole scope the whole zeitgeist of the 90s how Sonic really epitomized that attitude at the time he he, he represented that that kind of cool rad skateboarding style you know and um, I think he's I think he's the most um, time appropriate character they could have come up with uh, and I don't want to take up too much time here but so I'll let uh, Jeremy kind of say a few things here uh, yeah um the other thing is to kind of piggyback off of the theme of the attitude. I get this sense of kind of persistent optimism. Um, if you look at when we were talking about the uh, the badniks, like they could just be robots, right? But you actually save something from within it. Um, you know, 
all the various endings, just like kind of looking at the verbiage and stuff they use, they don't say like you lose or game over. Try, it's try again. When we have cutscenes, even if you don't succeed in getting all of the emeralds, like Sonic is still preventing Robotnik from taking over the world. So they they still have this kind of like positive, optimistic attitude, even if you don't necessarily beat the game perfectly, which I kind of appreciate because playing games like Contra and stuff, like they're kind of brutal and demoralizing when you just hear how much you suck at playing that game. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I guess even Mario 2 was always telling you like, oh, your princess is in another castle. And it it's not it's not as mean as some games could be, I guess, in that regard. But it's still which just like, haha, try again, sucker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So looking at the last section um, of our planned podcast is looking at just some of the characters maybe a little bit more in depth. And it's not something where we're going to, you know, do the biographies of every single character, but it's just looking at, you know, the major players in these first 16-bit eras. Um, and the first one I want to talk about is Robotnik. So here in the West, this is sort of a localization thing, is that for whatever reason, uh, you know, the localizers and, and Team Sonic decided to call him Dr. Robotnik over in you know, Western audiences for the United States. So I know Robotnik as Robotnik. However, the official name for him is Dr. Eggman, which is a great name in its sense, you know, in, in, on its own. But I think it doesn't have that sort of it's not edgy enough for for Western audiences. Yeah, so, absolutely. So, you know, here in the United States, we always saw this Teddy Roosevelt in pajamas as Dr. Robotnik. However, officially, and especially in Japan, and I think some of the cartoons, they do refer to him as Eggman. So, um, you know, I think I think Robotnik's a pretty fun bad guy because he's, I don't know if he's like a truly evil, evil, evil guy, but he does things that really are only going to benefit him. He just seems to be a really kind of goofy character in a lot of ways. You know, he, I think it's because of his appearance, really. You know, it's really hard to take him seriously compared to a lot of... Even Bowser. You know, even Bowser from the Mario games. Very is intimidating. Much, yeah, yeah. Bowser's much more intimidating than than Eggman is. So I think with Robotnik, he's he's kind of... He's really intelligent, but he's also kind of a klutz. Um, and he's constantly thwarted by Sonic. And I think that that rivalry and that relationship and interactions between Sonic and Robotnik is really well documented too in the cartoons as well. So does anyone want to talk about, let's say, since we're breaking this down into, you know, the 16-bit stuff, the people we can talk about here are Sonic, Tails, uh, Amy Rose, Metal Sonic, and Knuckles. So does any of you want to kind of jump into your own reflections, uh, you know, just a little bit about these characters? Uh, so I think I I would love to talk about Tails. So I don't know if does, yeah, does by that all means. Yeah. Um, you, I mean I love Tails actually, but you oh, can, cool. feel okay. free to talk about him. Like that's why you're on here, man. Just we just want to hear your voice. Just don't <laughs> talk bad about Tails. Yeah, don't talk bad about Tails because I will walk all the way over there and you know speak no, to you no, in person please. about it. I I would never do that. Do you want to uh, talk about the characters in order as well, or yeah, we can do that. Does, like of their appearance, or so let's let's just start with Sonic then. So, so I guess, you know, we kind of, we kind of talked about like, you know, what Sonic was, you know, through his, um, through his appearance and things like that. And, but, you know, he, he's just, he's always been this, this really cool, like, like you said, this, I, I don't even know why this is stuck in my head, even before you said it on the podcast, but he's too cool for school. That is, 
he's to the book. That's that's you could put a picture of Sonic right in there next to like a, a definition of what does this phrase really mean? And uh, Sonic Sonic would fit the bill just perfectly. And I, I I'm really glad in the end too that they never chose to you know stick him with this uh you know like this madonna-esque character or like you know put him in like a band and you know in some of the later games we see him with in some of like the marketing i suppose we see him with like skateboards and he's like a dj i think in one of the concept arts for like one of the sonic adventure games and stuff but but that was always just kind of like fun little side things and i think the sim the simplicity the simplicity of sonic still you know like not giving him all of these things that could potentially date him I think is kind of what keeps him so timeless of a character because yeah he's, he's fast and he cares about his friends and he cares about like the animals and and just you know civilization as a whole and uh, but then you know he's got Robotnik out here trying to just be a greedy jerk and and make uh, you know take over the world because he thinks he can uh, and I, I don't really truly understand why Sonic is as fast as he is or uh, yet, yet like you know how he how he gets this power but uh, but I, I we can all sort of we're all sort of glad that he has it regardless. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Anything you got to say about Sonic there, bud? Um, yeah, like I think is no, no. <laughs> Sorry, I I had something and then I just realized you covered basically most of. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it's was, it's one of like I'm just like thinking of what to say while you're talking. It's like oh yeah, uh, that's pretty much that sums it up. Well, well, at least you. I, I often will be thinking about what I want to say so much so that I I accidentally ignore what other people are saying, and then sometimes I just reiterate it. Yeah. Hey, yeah, if it's important, yeah. you gotta Which, say it twice. Yeah, and I mean, and that's that's okay too. You know, even if you have like the slightest little bit to like add on top of it, you know, I think it's it's always cool to hear like other people agree with you what you're saying or, or or you know disagree as well, and then it turns into you know a different topic. But um, but. Uh, yeah, sorry about that little TED talk. No, it's all good. <laughs> this has been my TED talk. And I, I like what you said, Zian, about um, just being a timeless character. And I think that's something that's done um, not only through his character design, but the way he carries himself. You know, he's still, again, I'm literally wearing Sonic the Hedgehog socks right now. So it's it's something where he's just like so memorable and such a fun character to play as. So. Being the major protagonist in the series, I mean, it's you know, it's it's his world, and we're just living in it. Um, so, uh, looking at the next character in line is the little bit more mild-mannered Tails. So I'll let you guys talk a little bit about Miles Prower, aka Tails. I don't even know why they call him Miles Prower. It's just Tails. Uh, it's a it's a Miles Prower. Oh my God. Oh, Reed didn't Reed. You didn't know. I had no. <laughs> Idea. I'm so glad to be here for this. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it's miles per hour, my guy. Oh man, I need to just that one went that's right over excellent. your head. I am just. Um, that's the the best things about forms of media is we can even after we think we know everything, we can still learn something. So, I'll, I'm going to talk a little bit about tales, and then you can just add on when you kind of just sure. don't listen to what I say. So no. Um, <laughs> so there's two things I like about tales. He's just kind of like that faithful, loyal companion and friend that, like, when you're growing up, a kid that just kind of sits at home and plays video games because, you know, people are lame, uh, that everyone wants. And he gets to fly the plane. Um, that might seem pretty superficial, but I just always liked the idea of him kind of, like, being that supporting character, being there for his friend. Like, he's not as fast as Sonic. He can maybe, you know, he can hover a little bit. 
but he's always there when Sonic needs him. And, like, you know, he's just kind of everyone... He's, like, someone that everyone needs a lot in their life. Hmm. That's, That's kind of really what I see point. in Tales. I've never thought of it that way, but I think like, you're he's, right. He's a very realistic sort of friend, right? In that regard, I guess it's, like... Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Everybody needs, like, somebody to have to have their back. And, and, you know, Tails knows things that Sonic would probably never be able to comprehend because of all of his, like, scientific... Or, uh, um, you know, all the knowledge that he's learned from, like, tinkering with his machines and, and his gadgets and things like that. And not on the level of Robotnik, but, but like you said, he can fly a plane. And Sonic Sonic can't do that. I yeah. mean, maybe he could. I guess. I, I think the plane is I've technically his. I don't know. It's uh... Yeah, I think I, I want to say it is Tails' plane. And, and like you said, what I like about him so much, and I think it's elaborated more in the comics and the TV show, is that, you know, Tails is the tech guy. You know, he's the Donatello. He's the tech guy. He's, he's helping assist... Um, Sonic in terms of like things that like you guys just said uh, things that Sonic can't do and I've always had a soft spot for like the tech guys the supporting characters because they're you know they take kind of a back burner to what's going on but if you really look at it a lot of times that that main character that superhero often ends up in a jam to where like that tech person is still required to get them out of you know yeah. And here's an interesting uh, uh, hypothetical for you guys. Let's just say that instead of Sonic the Hedgehog, it was Tails as the main character. Um, do you think it would have been as successful? Because Tails is, I mean, that's for, really tough. Because Tails, as himself, he's, a, he's, you know, his sprite is great too. You know, he's got the two tails and he can fly. And he's got, you know, he's got a cute look to him. You know, he's a very, you know, I guess cute little fox character. But do you wonder if he would have been as successful as his own character and i think he didn't he have his own game in the game gear yeah he he had he had tales adventure i think it was on the game gear in the u.s and then he actually had a second game that was more of like a a side-scrolling shooter uh that was in japan and it you can actually play it on the i just learned of this recently but you can play it on the sonic uh sonic adventure dx on the gamecube okay it's like an unlockable if you collect enough emblems but it's really it's a really boring game though okay. so <laughs> um i i think you know i, I want to let jeremy speak on this too but i think the the innocence of tails would potentially not be wouldn't have allowed tails to be like as widely recognized without sonic almost because you, you have that like they're both fighting for good but but one of them is like way more um aggressive way about more it. sure yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. he's way more cocky and yeah he, yeah you're right I think that's why I kind of have, like, not that I don't like Sonic, but I kind of identify more with Tails because I was, in our in my family, I was kind of on the younger end of, uh, like, this first batch of, like, cousins and stuff. So I had a lot of older cousins that, to me, were, they were cooler, you know, um, listened to, like, Metallica. They, you know, they were kind of that sort of more edgier kind of Sonic-like archetype, you know? And so I, being younger and kind of more naive and innocent just connected more with tails in that regards that's a fair point and like tails is just like i'm i'm a, I'm a big personally like i'm a big sucker for anything cute and so i think like i've always liked tails as well i i, I don't i can't it's really hard to tell you why and maybe it's just because foxes are just cute mm-hmm. like i was trying to before we started you know into this tails discussion i was trying to think about a fox in media that is is like a bad design or like that's something that someone doesn't like you know or that hasn't done well and I, I think of my first thought is Swiper from Dora the Explorer. <laughs> I don't 
I don't like Swiper at all, and I I don't know anybody that does. I mean, he is he is made to be the bad guy or like one of the bad guys, you know. But but I think foxes are just generally liked, so um, it's it's cool that Sega was able to take this hedgehog and turn him into something, and then take a fox, which is widely recognizable, and then oh, but let's just give him another tail and let him fly. <laughs> yep. you know? Well, and I just got PTS, uh, PTSD flashbacks of Bubsy, but I think he's a oh like a bobcat. He is, yeah. Oh, thank God. But he can, <laughs> I uh, he can f- hover though, or yeah, something, something. I think something like something it's, dumb. yeah. This is not a Bubsy friendly podcast. Enlighten me. I, I don't do. know Bubsy. Oh, we'll we'll we'll, we'll oh, show you boy. Bubsy. I'm oh. about to send you a Bubsy care package. What could possibly go wrong? Absolutely. I'm right. excited and for this. All right. So yeah, we talked about Robotnik a bit. You know, a very a very corrupted, evil doctor. Again, another very, uh, I would say, common archetype for a villain is this really tech-heavy bad guy. And but he is really goofy in his own right, and he's always just kind of really his his body form. He's this big, chubby, bad-looking uh, Teddy Roosevelt-looking guy. So he doesn't like you know even compared to a lot of other villains at the time, he's a pretty laughable. You can kind of point and laugh because he's going to kind of his actions kind of make fun of himself. So we've, we've talked a bit about Robotnik. So moving on to one of the characters that was introduced in Sonic CD and became a pretty important character, I think, moving even further into uh, the, the Sonic lore and further games is Amy Rose. And it's not some it's not a character I have a ton of experience with. I know, she, is she also a hedgehog? I believe so. Yeah. yeah, and she's pink. I know she's pink and she wears a dress. And I think her main, uh, I know like in the Sonic Advance games, she's really featured very, very strongly. And she, her main weapon is like hammers, isn't it? It's like these like, uh, you know, like carnival game hammer that you'd like hit like the strong man, like bing, you know, you'd hit the hit the, hit the the bag and it would, it's like one of those carnival hammers if, I, if yeah. I'm mistaken. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I, if I'm not mistaken, Amy Rose becomes sort of the, the love interest of Sonic. But I think the larger theme with Amy is that the 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 feelings that Amy has for Sonic go kind of unrequited. Um, he doesn't necessarily always feel the same way about Amy. She's more obsessed with Sonic than Sonic is obsessed with her, and I think that's kind of a gag in a lot of the the TV and comics and stuff like that. But Amy, I think, is like the first real female character to kind of come along, um, and again, isn't really heavily featured until the later games, but does become, I think, a fan favorite in a lot of ways. And I don't know if you guys have anything else to say about Amy Rose. That's really all of the extent that I know about her. Did you have anything you want to touch on, Jeremy? Uh, no. Yeah, I know. Okay. I don't know a ton about her. I didn't really play any of the other more recent Sonic games. I guess from what I could tell just going over Sega CD, she just kind of seemed to be more of a gag, honestly, in, in Sega CD. Like, just kind of something to... Yeah, something to, like, propel Sonic, right? Almost. Right. Like, like, a little bit of damsel in distress, but I think, it, like, because, uh, I mean, obviously, we all kind of know that at the time marketing was heavily like this is a girl thing this is a boy thing um and so i kind of just get the feeling that she was just thrown in there to be like oh we're marketing this to like nine ten year old boys like oh girls are icky sonic should just run away from her you know so (laughs) i'm glad to find out that they at least made her a little bit more relevant and not just an accessory i guess you could say Absolutely, yeah, and and you're right because in in these earlier games, she, I wonder, I don't know if, if she, do you, do either of you know if she's in 3D Blast at all by chance? Like if she I, makes I an don't remember. Or I know we just okay. lost all of our credibility on Twitter. No, <laughs> yeah. 
So she, but you're right. Like she, so she was created in CD, and then she was absolutely neglected in Three and and Knuckles, and and then you're right. She eventually like she comes back and she she sort of gains her, uh, you know, she, she gets. They they actually give her like a real role beyond just the the princess style character who's been kidnapped, and then yeah, like you said, the the damsel in distress, and so. But but yeah, in in the early games, we don't really get much of a chance to get to know her. And even in, in some of the other forms of Sonic media that were released around this time, uh, I don't think she was in the, the first cartoon, maybe, maybe a few so, appearances. No. But then we had Sally, who was in the, yep, uh, Sally, yep. in, in, in the comic books. And then the, was she in, she wasn't in Underground, right? Was she in the, there was like another Sonic cartoon? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was, on, I'm but. pretty sure Underground, yeah. And she was like, she had like brown brown fur and I, I don't even remember. Yeah, but I know I know yeah. Sally. Yeah, and she was she was like the love interest in this sort of like I don't think she was ever in any game. Um, I think she was purely a comic slash TV character, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and she is she is like what, I mean, she's so different than Amy. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. But but it almost it would have been cool if we, like I love Amy's design and everything, but it would have been cool if if Sally was the character that we got in Sonic CD instead, you know, or or. I mean, the the story and the, the, the gameplay would have been different if we... I mean, I guess it, it's not like the game needed Amy there. But, but yeah, it would be cool to see Sally in some role in some shape or form. You know, just because she's... Uh, from what I remember, too, she kind of... I think she leads a team of... Um, uh, of rebels basically she's like the princess leia of, yeah, of yep. sonic the hedgehog yep. yeah and uh and it, it is sad to see amy treated the way she is in the first few games but um but things do get better <laughs> yep for sure and then moving on to another character that gets i think his first well here's the thing we're talking about metal sonic now now right that's a the, sticky subject it is i'm sure again losing credibility on twitter as i speak is metal sonic the same thing as mecha sonic from like sonic 2 so I'm going to jump ahead super far here. And so I was recently playing Sonic Adventure on the Dreamcast. And it, at the end of one of the... I know, I know we're not supposed to be talking about that at it's all, but, but I have to now. Uh, at the end of one of the levels, or there's... Um, I think it's the not the egg carrier, but Eggman has like a, a base kind of out in the middle of the woods. And you can go in there and there's, there's two kind of capsules. And floating in one of them is very much... It's very clearly Metal Sonic, the blue one. And then in the other capsule is the gray Mecha Sonic. And so... Uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe Sega, maybe that was just an Easter egg, you know, or, or a throwback to the classic games. But if the Sonic Adventure storyline continues with those, then it does seem like that they are different, completely different entities, I suppose. So Mecha Sonic that, is more of like a prototype of the true Metal Sonic. Yeah, yeah, it does seem so. And especially, too, because I think in the, it's been so long since I played Sonic 2, but... Uh, did you say you just recently replayed it, Reed? Yeah, I just was... yeah, just a few weeks ago I, I played through Sonic Two. Is Mecha Sonic like super slow and kind of tanky in his movement, or does he kind of fly all over the screen? Like um, you know, Mecha, Metal Sonic is fast. Uh, I think Mecha Sonic is a bit more tanky. He does like the down dash spin, and he has like you know razor blades on his back, so he's kind of like a buzzsaw. But you know, I remember Me- Mecha Sonic, the original gray form. Yeah, he wasn't too quick you know i think metal sonic the blue version um of sonic that you see in sonic cd and subsequent games it you know the first thing that comes to my mind when looking at metal sonic um other than the fact that the idea of having a doppelganger is not a very new thing i know mega man had it um you know link has it with dark link it reminds me a lot of like terminator you know it reminds me of like this uber killing machine that's supposed to 
sort of rival what the the good guy kind of looks like, but also is you know very nefarious in his own ways. Um, I think he's a really co- I think Metal Sonic's a really cool character design, especially like the the full version. Um, so if we're moving away from Mecha Sonic, I think Metal Sonic is a much cooler looking, much cooler looking uh, uh, character than uh, Mecha Sonic. And I think too, looking at themes of things, you know, he stands as the industrial, robotic, evil version that Sonic is really an opponent of. And I'd really like to see more of a rivalry between Metal Sonic and normal Sonic. And maybe it is something that they do talk about in Sonic CD. Again, I've only played it very briefly. You know, I think it maybe that's oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I think it just I think it just adds on to the the, the nature versus industrial theme. And I think it's just a, such a cool character design as well. Yeah. That's so interesting. I, I never thought about that at all ever is that, you know, in technically in there's some universe or you know depending on how the game could play you know if you get a game over screen technically the future version of sonic cd will then live on with metal sonic as being the the sonic that now rules in this world and destroys everything so it's it's weird to to think about that now is that you know if if normal sonic wins then you know then then the the grass continues to grow and the, and the birds continue to to fly and and uh, but yeah then then you have this alternate reality where where metal sonic is just he's the only Sonic, you know. Yeah, that's a that's a scary idea, I guess. Yeah. Now, yeah. I have a question: Is Metal Sonic a badnik or just a different robot? I want to say he's like a fully formed self self creation. Aside from he's not like a he's not like a hedgehog put inside of a. Well, yeah, because I guess like I don't know maybe if any of the other games talk about this in like the future because I'm not really familiar with them. But is there a difference between a badnik and a robot? Like a, is a badnik like a mini rabbit mech? Um, that's I, a good question. I, yeah, maybe that's something we can address um, <laughs> later on. Thanks for ruining the podcast. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> thanks for po- pointing, uh, poking holes in our whole fabric here. From my understanding with the badniks, which again we talked a little bit about before, is like they're just like the good woodland critters that they take and morph into um, evil evil robots. Yeah, evil robot okay. versions. So I don't think Metal Sonic is. I could be completely wrong. I think Metal Sonic, as far as I know, was just created to because Robotnik can't apparently stop him on his own. So they, you know, he has to create. Just need something that can match that speed. Exactly. And... He's got to create something that could rival Sonic as his own form. So uh, again, it's something that you see in a lot of different video games. Of you know, like I said, Dark Link, and there's a lot of other games where you're gonna fight the dop- the evil doppelganger of yourself. So. And I think I just think Metal Sonic's a really cool character. Um, he is. It, it, it's pretty insane that Sega was able to just, you know, take Sonic, which is already this really cool character, and then just they they made him pointier and they made him metal, and now he's just all of a sudden like fifty times cooler. How is how does that work? <laughs> Marketing, my friend. Anyway, so looking at the final character on our roster for the 16-bit era. Again, all of what we're talking about is really related to the 16-bit era. Of course, um, as you can imagine, with the subsequent you know, 32-bit generation and you know, more modern titles, a lot of these characters, Sonic, Tails, Eggman, they get fleshed out. But we're just looking at the 16-bit characters, and the final one that we really want to touch on is Knuckles the Echidna. So if you aren't familiar with Knuckles, he is this sort of, uh, he's a red echidna, which is a very obscure animal compared to a hedgehog, who has like these really pointy gloves, which he's able to, in-game, you know, climb on walls and sort of glide through the air. And he kind of has like red dreadlocks. Uh, originally, the design was supposed to be, I think, a little bit more dreadlocky than it kind of looks. 
I think if you have this spectrum of video game characters and in the middle you have Sonic being this cool and cocky character but still very kind of patient and cool um, and then on the left side you have Tails which is a very benevolent techie I'm just supporting my friends but then on the far opposite side of Tails you're having Knuckles. Knuckles is kind of has this reputation as being sort of bold and brash and I don't want to say dumb but just kind of like you know, he, he, he speaks with his fists more than he does his brain. And you can sort of see that in Sonic 3. He just thinks that Sonic is out to steal the emeralds, when in reality, Sonic's trying to help. Um, I know Knuckles is one of those characters that's pretty polarizing for a lot of people. I know a lot of people love him. I think it's a really cool design. Um, whenever I was playing Sonic and Knuckles, I would always play as Knuckles, um, just because I liked his mechanics in-game. Um, so I think if we talk about Sonic being a archetype of everything that is 90s knuckles is that plus like five more snowboards i don't know <laughs> he's just a really cool rad dude but he's also just kind of kind of not dim-witted but just a little not on it as as much as as sonic is i don't know what you guys think of knuckles um i think the thing i really like about him after kind of doing this research uh as we touched in the overview is he is the guardian of the um, Chaos Emeralds. And I really like characters in just any, whether it's literature or something, but when they're the last kind of defender of, like, the natural world. So that's kind of what really rings out about him that I like a lot, even if he is kind of a dum-dum. I don't know, what do you think about him, Zian? I I think I always liked him growing up, and it's hard to, it's hard to, comp- like, put him up on a pedestal next to Sonic and Tails because like those two characters are already just already just so well rounded like they're they're a perfect duo you know the Banjo-Kazooie or uh Jack and Dexter <laughs> sure yeah, yeah yeah that, thank you thank you and so you know it's it's hard to it it, it, it must have been hard to like round that out but I, I do feel that knuckles kind of does add to that friend group in in ways that you know that reed already touched on too that he's just like a he's he's not a copy of either of those characters he can fly around he can climb and he he doesn't always think things through very well but he's still very well spirited and and he has his goals and and he you know like he cares about he, he has his goals and his like ideals that he that he wants to stand up for and that's that's respectable. And I also was um, I was reading the English manual earlier, and Jeremy and I talked about this a little bit, uh, but uh, not in the podcast. But I, I found out that uh, Knuckles is actually 15 years old, and his favorite fruit, or his favorite food rather, is fruit, especially grapes. And I, I love grapes. I would probably put uh, strawberries in there if it were me. But um, but I, I can respect grapes. That's a great decision. So, so Sonic's the chili dog guy, and Knuckles likes grapes. Absolutely. There's a nice dichotomy there. You'd, you'd imagine it's like, I don't know, hot Cheetos or something. but <laughs> Maybe they weren't invented at the time. Maybe uh, um, Sega will come in and they'll redact that. and they'll, Actually, it was it was hot Cheetos. Well, trademark, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing no one in Japan has ever eaten a chili dog and then tried to run. Because I've done it. <laughs> it's not fun. Um, okay. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, that's, it, that's it. That's the story. Uh, I... Uh, the other thing that I can kind of I kind of get a, a glimpse for is they kind of feels like they inadvertently created this ensemble cast of characters to like I said I feel like it was probably inadvertent but they've set themselves up well for all these new games because I know in in one of the newer ones you can kind of make your own character and play as all of, all of them and they all kind of have their own certain role it's 
it seems like they almost inadvertently set up like a D&D party or just anything where you've got a bunch of different people that all have their niche within the group but are still valuable to the overall goal of the greater good. Yeah, I haven't thought about that. It is a very well fleshed out party because you have, you know, you have Tails being the tech guy and you have Sonic being just the general ringleader and cocky dude. Kind of smart you, still. Yeah, he usually outsmarts. Outsmarting, yes. And then Knuckles is like the the the, the brawn. As you guys as you guys were, were were talking and looking at comparing the attitude and general theme of Sonic and Knuckles. I see Sonic as the, the the kid that your mom would reluctantly let you take to prom, but Knuckles is the kid that is down at the skate park drinking forties. <laughs> um, so that's 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 my general takeaway of these characters. He's Johnny is, from the Breakfast Club. Yes, yes. I don't know. Anyway, and Tails is like even lucky that he managed to get a date to prom in the first place. Yes, he's just he's just sweating. He's putting, <laughs> trying to put his corsage on. He's just, his, oh gee, oh my. Yeah, yep. That that's that's uh, an hour and a half of podcasting for you. Just jump to these conclusions. So, uh, yeah, that's largely the 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 bread and butter of um, all of the things we wanted to cover in terms of the plot and the characters and the themes and the inspiration. We talked about a little bit of Sega wanting to create a new mascot for a new era. Any just general things you guys want to talk about that we might have not touched? Um, looking at these sixteen bit Sonic games. I think one thing for me too is is you know especially like talking about the story is just that it's never you know it's always it's always been there it's you know they haven't ever had like big text bubbles in the in the middle of the screen uh, even in, even in some of like the newer 2D Sonic games you know it's always about the action but it's nice it's nice to actually like sit back listen and and learn that you know there was still like a lot of thought put into like these characters and and the story even though it wasn't like I mean, yes, it was in, in Sonic and Tails and Knuckles are the, and Robotnik are the face of, of, of the game. But uh, but it, it's good to see that, like, it still didn't, like, even though it's so simple, it's it's not like it, it uh, it's still important to be there, I, I suppose is what I'm trying to say. Right. Yeah, I think part of its uh, charm is yeah. its simplicity. Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. Like, I mean, like, like you guys said, like, we have to dig through the manuals to discover this stuff. And, uh, and... And I suppose you know there there were games back in the day that did did things like that all the time just because the games weren't weren't able to. But but it's cool that like some of the stuff is still stood up and that we're still like uh, is is this the thirtieth anniversary of Sonic? Yeah, I, that's I that's forget. yeah, that's a, that's the reason I wanted to do this is like you know it's the thirtieth anniversary of Sonic. You know it's a really important game series to me and a lot of other people. So you know I think it was worthwhile to kind of take a take the time and look at the old Genesis games sans spinball your favorite but uh <laughs> that's okay hey I'm, I'm surprised you're still playing even after starting with 3d blast but yeah, but you know true. like that that's the cool thing is that we're all still 30 years later like we still want to dig into Sonic and learn more about him and continue playing uh their games and and hear more of the story too Jeremy anything else you want to add um yeah I know you touched on the music a little bit but Man, that coming back around to that, that the whole game in in a way was just kind of like a, an art piece. Like the level design was great, but the biggest thing that really stands out to me is just the audio in that game. Like the music, the way when he jumps, that little like whoop, like just takes me back to being seven again. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't played a Sonic game, just hop onto YouTube and just listen to the soundtracks from them because they're they're good. Oh yeah, they're some of the best. I mean during this time period like 
your gameplay, and I'm not saying Sonic's gameplay is bad at all, it's amazing, but like you can get away with an uh, just an okay game if you have a really good soundtrack. And Sonic includes not only really good gameplay and mechanics, but also sound effects and soundtrack. I mean, you can still hum some of those themes and just such an amazing atmosphere that it brings to the table. When you have such technical limitations that you do in the eight and 16 bit bit generations, you have to have the ability to create something using what you're limited to. And in this case, soundtracks, Um, which is a fun fact because as I'm sure one of the the bar trivia questions you're going to get is like what famous pop musician um, worked on the music of Sonic 3? And it's Michael Jackson. He was a huge fan of Sonic. And he was one of the inspirations for Sonic. Looking at the origins of, of Sonic's design is he has the red and white shoes, which were inspired by, I believe, Bad. Michael Jackson was hugely, hugely important for Sonic's early reputation not only from the music st- uh, standpoint, but also from a design standpoint. And I think uh, there are podcasts that are amazing um, that do a great job of breaking down musical themes and notations and all these other things. And I just think, yeah, I, I absolutely agree that the music side of this makes the whole experience so much more enjoyable, even when you're constantly yeah. dying in water traps. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something that you know, for me back in the in the day, I don't think I necessarily picked up on the fact that the music was so good. But now, you know, over the past uh, 10, 15 years, you know, uh, that, that I've, well, goodness, longer than that. Wow. Uh, but uh, sorry to do, do a little quick math in my head. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's really impressive to see that we can still go back. And, and it's just as timeless as some of the music in the Mario series or Zelda. And uh, it, it doesn't just... Like the soundtrack really does deserve the the accolades that it gets. You're you're, com- you're completely right. Yeah. So, gentlemen, Jeremy, you have anything else you need to add? No, I think that wraps it up. We've talked to you off for long enough. <laughs> yes, we have. You know, it's it's such a pleasure to kind of bring guests on, and it's something hopefully we're going to be doing a lot more often as we kind of jump into franchises that maybe Jeremy and myself are not necessarily as you know knowledgeable on you know obviously a lot of our resources are from playing games themselves or doing some online research but you know bringing in some awesome perspectives like Zion is such a such a blessing to have so we appreciate you coming on Zion absolutely well I, dude it's it's a it's a blessing for me to even be here doing this with you and and you seriously both of you seriously did so much research on this as well that it's like that has to be commended as well you know uh, so hats hats off to you too all right well just to kind of wrap things up my name is Reed Jolin. You can find us on Twitter. Um, our social media handle is uh, on Twitter is page two, as in the number, page to pixel pod uh, on Twitter. Uh, Zeon, do you want to let people know about some of your credentials and where to find you online? Yeah, uh, so I you can find me on pretty much Instagram, Twitter, at uh, Zeon Dude, uh, spelled Z-I-O-N-D-O-O-D, like as in Disgaea, but I'm not a big Disgaea guy, <laughs> so I'm sorry. And uh, yeah, and I like like I said before, I do videos for Nintendo Life. I'm in a band called Constance, which uh, Reed and Jeremy. I feel like I know Reed for sure. Well, absolutely, but but I feel like Jeremy, you've at least been to one of our shows. And uh, I have, yes. Um, awesome. Okay, good. I'm I'm glad I could say that with with confidence <laughs> now. And uh, but yeah, that's that's pretty much what I've got going on. And uh, yeah, I, I look forward to seeing what else you guys do with this podcast as well. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, we'll definitely have to have you on board uh, on future episodes. Absolutely. 
Uh, and again, ladies and gentlemen, that was the early history of Sonic the Hedgehog, particularly the 16-bit generation. Uh, hope to have you guys back soon, sometimes very soon. So um, thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you on the flip side. It's Chili Dog time. God damn it. <laughs> However, Sanic manages to... I said Sanic, didn't I? As he celebrates his victory, Thronix... <laughs> Looking around, Sonic sees that the altar has a giant Cayman... Has a Cayman Islands. <laughs> God, these plot points are just... So many words. A flock of flickies pop out of the... The fuck I'm flicking his pop out of the ting. Hey, man. Yeah, man. That's good. I didn't even think of it that way. I mean, I know that's not what it's supposed to be, but I like that. Shoot, hold on. I just found food in my mouth. Wow, 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 wow